Summer camp is a magic place where kids discover who they are because they have the freedom to explore on their own. Y Camp at Horse Thief Reservoir is a sleepaway camp in the heart of Idaho's wilderness. Each summer, campers make friends, build new skills, and learn to love the outdoors through activities like canoeing, archery, zip lining, rock climbing, campfires, and more. Registration for Y Camp at Horse Thief Reservoir is open. Financial assistance is available. Learn more at ycampidaho.org. Hey everybody, Jay here. Just wanted to give an honest apology for the audio quality and parts of this week's episode. Unfortunately, unbeknownst to me, my wife was upstairs streaming something in like 15K and it totally ate into my bandwidth. So my audio does cut, cut out at a couple of times. However, the conversation with Jason, Pete, and Mike was really, really good and I didn't want to lose it. So here you are. So if you are kind of on the fence about this week's quality, I apologize. It's all my fault. Enjoy. And welcome to another edition of the Agile Uprising Podcast. I'm your host again, Jay Hersko. Joined with me, I have repeat offenders, Mike Mad Dog Doherty. Mike, good evening. Hi there. We have Pete Oliver Kruger. Good evening. And calling in from an undisclosed location somewhere north of the border, the world's best cold fusion developer, Mr. Jason Little. Jason, how are you? Woo! Hey, Jay, how's it going? Pretty good. <laughs> I, I'm hanging in there. I'm glad to have this fine assortment, motley crew, I should say, pardon the pun, uh, with us. So for this week's episode, we're going to be talking about something which might be a little bit obscure, but I think I think our audience will really get into it. We're going to talk about Otto Scharmer's idea, Theory U. Um, so a little bit of background before we dive into it. So I have come across this multiple times. This episode came out of a genesis of I don't like to hang out on LinkedIn. It's a lot of um, existential buffoonery and intellectual navel-gazing, but uh, present company excluded. I did happen to log in one day, and I saw the Mad Dog talk about this, and I pinged him, and I said, Mike, I have been meaning to read this book for ages. Why don't you come on the show? We have this conversation. He said, I'll do you one better. I'll grab Pete, and I'll grab Jason Little, because we were just talking about this, and then let's do a show, and yet here we are. So I'm going to start with you, Mike, because you're the impetus for this whole episode. If you had to summarize Theory U, to someone who had never heard of this concept before, how would you do it? It's what I like to think about as emergent design for an entire culture. It's massive scale. And you can take it down to individuals, you can take it up to teams, you can take it up to programs, you can take it up to the whole organization. Otto Scharmer doesn't pull any punches. He's looking at total cultural change. And so it's got a little bit of uh, a lot of different things to it some spiral dynamics in it, some uh, motivation with Dan Pink. The idea of presidency is about listening and being in the moment. Some of the change management concepts you, Jason Little, have uh, popularized with your lean change management. So it comes down to really letting go of all your biasms of what your culture is laid out, because culture is about, it's a, it's a construct that's changed in liquid. And letting go of all that means first to uh, removing your biases, moving your thoughts, getting to be aware. And there's a, a, a saying that Otto Scharmer says, it's like an awareness-based systems change. So it's change in it. And once you get aware, then you can have the start of change because you got to let go of all that. And that's when you build in through what I would consider as a psychological way of uh, getting safety, 
co-initiating, co-creating, and then co-evolving together a whole new corporate structure that matches your observation of how things best work where you're at. Okay, perfect, perfect. So it's kind of like a reality shaping tool, a reality redefining tool. So I'm going to swing over to you, Pete, because when we had you on last, we talked about how, you know, you have actually studied the Spiral Institute. So you're very familiar with Spiral Dynamics. How does this resonate with, I mean, a lot of our listeners should be familiar with Spiral Dynamics. God knows I beat this drum countless episodes. Um, how, did, how did this play into some of your concepts and some of your mental models when you knowing Spiral and then diving into this? Sure. Yeah. And we could probably start a band with all the, ba- the drum banging that we do about spiral dynamics. Um, but uh, when I looked at this, like one of the things I don't, I don't actually do practice of theory use. So I'm, I'm, I'm excited here to understand uh, some more of what the other folks are doing uh, with this model. Um, so I'm coming into this more of, with a new sort of look at this thing, but I am looking at it through the spiral dynamics lens. And one of the things that I'm noticing is that for me, I see the two halves of the U as different levels on the spiral. And I find that there's folks that are going through what in spiral dynamics would be sort of classified as kind of maybe like the orange level, which are going through the deconstructive process on the left-hand side. And they haven't quite gotten to the point of being able to build up the right side yet. And so I could see a lot of people who are able to sort of tear down and break things down, but they're not able to build something else in its, in, in its wake or build something in to replace it yet. And that's actually where I spend a lot of my time. Um, and so, you know, I'm a little bit intrigued in like, what are some of the other techniques that you can do when you, you know, half the job is getting people to realize that the patterns that they're in right now um, may not be serving their own needs. Like they may be getting in their own way. Um, I'm not going to go into details about it, but I just had a conversation yesterday uh, about a, a group that was very fixed on some patterns uh, and that they knew that they wanted to do something different, but their belief was that we can get to this new place by just updating our patterns. And they weren't really ready to yet to deconstruct their patterns. And that is an important step of really sort of understanding where where you have misconceptions because until you can put yourself aside and really see the world around you in sort of reality, when people are speaking up and saying, hey, I need you to look at this thing, you can't say that thing shouldn't exist. You have to say, oh, I didn't think that thing was going to exist, but it does. So let's go ahead and do something about it. But being able to see that doesn't mean you're able to be able to put together all of that stuff on the right-hand side of the view. I think it really is a different set of, uh, of skills that I think you know, fits into the spiral dynamics green range. Uh, and there's a lot of people who are doing some great stuff there and like listening to some more stuff in Theory U and some of the videos that are out there, I really was able to sort of see that I can see the commonalities. Like those people I work with who are in the green mind space, like will eat this stuff up. You know, Theory U completely fits with what they're talking about. And they're already been doing the work on themselves and breaking it down and, and challenging their, you know, their beliefs. Uh, and they're ready to sort of put something together and to rebuild this new process. But I don't think I would take this unless, you know, somebody else can, you know, is going to convince me otherwise. Uh, there's certain people that, are, that I know are in that orange space that I would not take this to. I probably would not even introduce it to because then they would start to think that I was, you know, this crazy person, this, you know, uh, all the stereotypes (laughs) and the tree huggers and like, you know, more interested in the fact that we all get along. Like these are all the stereotypes that get thrown out, but 
it really is a more effective way of working, but not if you don't have the right people. Right, right. Well said. So, Jason, I mean, when I was reading, when I was reading, I didn't read the full book. Truth be told, I cheated. I got the essentials of Theory U because I didn't want to go through the full $40 monster until I was aware of what I was getting into. And one of the things about to me, Jason Little, was, you know, you are the godfather of lean change management. This does seem like a natural kissing cousin to a lot of the stuff that you talk about in your books, uh, um, almost like a, a other side of the coin, so to speak. Yeah, well, you, you come to me to bring me on this podcast. <laughs> Sorry, it's a very bad godfather. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I would totally agree with, uh, with everything Pete said. It's, um, I, I like the way Michael Spade explains the um, integral agile model, which is built on top of spiral dynamics, that people can't leap through layers. There's going to be a limiting factor for what set of ideas are generally accepted. And if you go into a lot of places that we've seen that you could call them orange or even red, you know, and you bring in agile stuff and you bring in say a daily standup, that is a practice designed for blue and lower. So in those cultures, you're going to see things that uh, they'll align with the intent of what that practice is. Whereas, you know, in the oranges and reds, it's going to be, where's the status notes that were written down from the standup so we can put in our procedure manual? Like they're just not gonna get it. Um, and I think the same thing is definitely gonna be true with Theory U if we don't go to the intent of why it was created in the first place. So, you know, the brief history is that uh, he grew up uh, on a farm uh, uh, growing organic food. And the, that, the line in the middle of it, so when you've got the U and then, you know, you've got the other upside down U on top of it, which is the creating behavior, the destructing behavior, he describes that's the soil line. And they learned very quickly that the single most important thing that they need to give focus to as organic farmers is the quality of the soil. And every action and thing they do is having the best possible soil they can have. So that kind of stuck with them through all the years. And then the, the first trigger for it was, um, it was something, I had to go get my notes from a client because I remember we went through all this stuff and it was, how as social systems do we get locked into a condition where we collectively create results that nobody wants. So it was like, why does that, why do we keep doing this? Why do we keep saying we want transformation? Mm -hmm. We want to make this progress. And then we give you five steps to follow and punish you when you don't follow them. Like what's wrong with this? So the, 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 the ideas were born from impact hubs, uh, edu.edux.org which was all of these, uh, how do we co-create um, and enable self-organization in knowledge with experimentation and all these things all mixed up together to find out what, what is it that we're, is helping us move from now to the future. And we're really talking about changing, changing the social field in organizations. Mm -hmm. And there's a couple of things where we get stuck. We get into the social divide and we get into a spiritual divide with ourselves. The left side of the U is us now. The right side of the U is future us. And that's right. the fight we have with ourselves. And we meet in the middle at the bottom of the U. And that's how we really explore as an individual, 
how we want to move to the other side. And this just extends it to uh, the collective. Mm. So mm. How, how are we, you know, you see the symptoms, the symptoms he describes when there's too much of a social or spiritual divide between the left and the right is at the individual level, it's burnout, it's depression, it's uh, anger, it's these, these symptoms, feelings of lost control. In organizations, it's what we would oversimplify as the death spiral, right? Right. So I like going back to the intent of why it was created, because you can look at the model and go, yeah, it's a model just like everything else. But I think we sometimes gloss over that and forget the intent. Yeah, the, the, the genesis of where it comes from. He, he even talked about at one point um, the, the farmhouse he grew up in. He went to school one day and he came home and it was on fire and it was leveled. And that was very formative into, into how he built this in the entire narrative. There were some, there were some parts of my cheat sheet version uh, where some of the things he said were actually super relevant uh, or resonant, I should say. One of the things he said was um, dialogue dialogue between people between humans etc teams is how it, it, it incorporates the capacity of a system to see itself right so dialogue is how the system makes um uh, truth to power or it makes reality of what it's actually doing and that tied with um how a system sees itself it automatically made me think of if anybody's if he's listening please douglas come on the show douglas hofstadter's god Lesher bach where he talks about um, mechanical mode versus intelligent mode, whereas mechanical mode, you're operating in the system, whereas in intelligent mode, you're stepping outside a system to make done. Um, kind of funnily, we've made a bunch of remarks in the show about how some coaches get pickled because they spend too much time and then they end up, you know, they've gone native. But that whole concept, right, the of, of forcing a system to, um, and I believe the term he uses is an open, the triumvirate of open heart, open mind, open will, you know, you need to have a, a, a mind ready to understand new ideas, a heart ready to accept them, and the will to, to incorporate both. I thought that was super, super powerful and because it talks about, you know, the system needs to see itself in order to grow and to change. And one of the other things that he mentioned that I really, that really jumped out at me was the idea of upstream intervention. And he actually has the, the extra quote in the book is, you can't change a relationship, but you can change how the relationship and that was one of those things where I'm sitting outside. It's a Sunday. You know, all the Eagles fans are screaming and yelling in their house. I can hear them. And I got a book and a beer. And I, and I, that's one of those things where I read the line and I put the book down and I just stopped. And I was like, you know, maybe we, in the abstract, maybe we do spend a little bit too much time trying to fix how the pieces fit instead of taking it two steps earlier and trying to figure out why the pieces don't fit to begin. Um, so we talked about the U and I'd like to go about more details this is terrible audio but it's it's, it's an interesting concept um anybody uh mike uh, you know what, mike i'm gonna pick on you right you, you brought up you know we're gonna do some moving pictures with you pardon the rush pun here um so when you have to describe that the, there's the absencing and the presencing right like jason said it's the it's the creation and the destruction um how would you describe that to a layman who's not necessarily looking at this wonderful diagram right yeah so uh Definitely don't want to get any uh, pictures of dogs playing cards here like a Rush album, but uh, in any event, the theory you, it does start with your current situation, where you're at right now. And there's this, uh, you start there, everything starts from the top left of the U, right? And and for that, so you're going from the, the left of where you are now, your, your current 
patterns, whatever you do in your life, whether it's you or uh, go beyond that to your organization, right? And then you're going to spend some time, start looking with a new pair of eyes. And I even like to sometimes say, this is a, a done even in um, the ladder of leadership that David Marquet will say for his uh, intent-based thinking is that many people just go through their life and they're, they're just doing their job. They just do the thing, they're red workers. They're almost like Taylorism. They just go through it. For whatever reason, it might be because they've been doing it for a very long time, they're comfortable with it. It could be because it's easy to do. It could be because they've been told to do and they don't have any control of it, but whatever the reason, they've done it. So it's about suspending that and going, wait a minute, let's look with a fresh pair of eyes. I'm gonna suspend what I've done before and then that starts a journey down the U. So now you're deconstructing, as, as Jason was bringing up, deconstructing what you currently have. And from there, you start doing what uh, is is called sensing or presencing. That, so Otto Scharmer made it uh, be an adjective. It's it's not you have a, a, a presence, you're doing presencing, meaning you're fully engaged with everything around you and taking it all in with a new, as new a perspective as you can. Because that the next part of that is letting go with your bias and with your beliefs, with whatever you currently have and just really taking it in as if you were a child, as if you've never seen this before, opening that, as you mentioned, uh, Jay, opening your heart, opening your mind, opening your will. And if you can get to that point. Which is a big if, if which is a if big you if. you can get to that point <laughs> where you're really fully present and you've let go of everything, that's when you can start the reconstruction. Now you're at the bottom of the U. You can almost think of it about it like a uh, uh, you're in that uh, trial of uncertainty or with an adoption curve. You're like, hey, hey, this is it. And it, I realize if you know, but maybe it's more of for some that really get it, uh, an awakening, right? And then, then you can take that awakening and go, oh, I did not realize all these things. And that's when you start bringing in and you start bringing others to start co-creating with others and getting them to be on board to do the same thing. And then you evolve together to something new, something that may have never been thought of before. That's totally yours based on where your context is and where you're at. Um, and I honestly have never experienced that myself. And that's what makes it so fascinating to, to uh, consider it. Uh, yet there is that moving up and crystallizing that new vision and new direction, tearing everything down and then bringing it back up from a viewpoint of, we're not doing anything from the past. We're doing everything with where we are now and then build a future. Which also has analogies with the stories we've heard of Borland Technologies. We've heard of create the, Peter Merrill talks about if you're going to do an agile transformation, just create a whole new company and start from there. Steve notions and let the people come to the work as they get interested. Um, you, had a, you had an interesting analogy for the left side of the U, I believe. Care to, care to go into detail on that? we get them off mute there we go yeah the, the left side for me is very much like lean startup when i see this sort of progress i feel like lean startup is a great way to teach this process of breaking down that left hand side uh, and it's what we used to do so i used to work for lean startup machine back when uh, eric was first putting the book out and we went through this whole process of figuring out what was the best way to get people uh, introduced to Lean Startup and start to challenge their own assumptions? Because that's the big, that's the big part and the big step of that. And we went through several different iterations and we got to the point where we were realizing that you know you had to have people 
make a proposal, like pick and say, what do you expect to happen when you go talk to customers? And this was the, the establishment and the pattern. And then we would kick them out the door with no preparation whatsoever and say, you have to go find people and talk to them. And that was the seeing through fresh eyes. And so they had to go try to present their idea to real customers. And that was the catalyzing moment. And not, I don't know how many people wanted to do that, but in the process of doing it, they were forced to be confronted with their own patterns. And I think that was one of the geniuses of the model uh, putting together. I don't know if that was Trevor Owens who came up with that or some of the other people that were on his staff, but that's who I learned it from. Uh, and it just like to see so many people come back uh, well, first off, they come back and they're just like so dejected. They're like, oh my God, nobody likes our idea. Everybody hates it. It's horrible. You know, and like, they're, and they're really kind of torn down, but then we could build them back up over the next day. And it wasn't about tearing them down because there's a lot of people that get into this idea of like, oh, you got to tear somebody down and be really mean to them, you know, and then their minds are open and they can do something else. But no, it was being, it was getting to that point. It had a two-step process. Like you had to identify what your metrics were and then go out and have them fail. And I've even said that like, it, when I'm teaching somebody lean startup and I'm taking this through this process and they identify an upfront metric and then they go out and it turns out their upfront metric is correct and they actually get validated by them, they have not learned lean startup yet. It's not until they get to the point where something starts to fail and they have to go with what the customer is saying instead of what they believe about that situation. That's the only time at which they start mm. to shift perspective and start to see it from another thing. And to do that, you have to do that next step after that, which is sensing from the field. You have to get out of your own head. You have to get out of the building, as we used to say in Lean Startup. And all of those pieces are necessary to come together. And it's not something you can do in a classroom. It's not something you can tell somebody. It's not something you can introduce somebody to. You kind of just have to kick them out the door and force them to confront themselves. And, you know, if they come out the other side with a better awareness, then they're in the dirt to go back to what Jason was saying. Uh, and now we can start to build something really, really cool off of that. But yeah, man, really man stares into the abyss and the abyss stares back at you. And sometimes you sometimes you don't like what, what you're seeing. You, you nailed that point. Jason, I wanted to ask you, um, what were some of your thoughts? Um, a, a big chunk of this book emphasizes, and I wouldn't say overemphasizes because I think it's truly important because I think it's a skill that a lot of us have to struggle to adopt or get good at, the, the importance of listening. Right, the importance of um, listening to understand, listening to uh, agree, um, especially with a lot of the stuff you do, right? With change management, just listening to people, I'm assuming, just talk about their woes is probably fairly insightful in and of itself. What What are your thoughts on that? Um, and I mean, hell, Daniel Kahneman just did another book on noise. The title is Noise. It's all about listening and getting the signal through the noise. What are some of your thoughts with um? With especially the not just theory you but the importance of listening when it comes to truly uh, enacting change that sticks. So uh, yeah, first, I'm glad you mentioned lean startup. So everything Pete said times ten. Yes, exactly. It's it is exactly what it is. Applying that context to organizations. Um, I, actually, Trevor, I think still owes my team fifty bucks. We won the first uh, lean startup machine in Toronto back in 2011 or 12, whenever it was, and he hired us in that weekend because we validated. Our company was called Hire Shark, and it was like Tinder for companies and, and people looking for jobs. So you could match people to the right culture and stuff. So he gave us a stack of resumes and said, 
you know, find my top 10 out of this list based on your algorithm that you have. So uh, I don't know if he hired one of the 10, but yeah, if you're listening, you might still owe us 50 bucks there, Trevor. It's funny because um, you told that story in the workshop that I did. So I've heard your story about your company in my workshop. That's fun. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, God. That was awesome. That was a life changing moment. And the, yeah, that's like, that's awesome. I'm going to use that same, same metaphor describing this from now on, because it's exactly what that approach is. Um, and with listening in particular, it, it's interconnected with that lean startup idea on the left side of the U. So a company I was doing some work for, uh, you know, cause you talk about, Hey, we have to think outside the box. We have to separate the signal from the noise. The whole point is we can't think outside the box when we're in the box. We can't think outside of it. We need an outside perspective. So the way this company dealt with that is normally, what do you do? You hire a bunch of consultants and they come in with a framework and they paint a picture of stuff and you go, okay, awesome. We'll listen to the consultants. We're going to steamroll the organization with it. And this client uh, applied the George Costanza method. So they did the opposite. <laughs> so the, uh, the CEO went on like a miniature world tour of lean coffees with people. So his mission was to talk to at least have close to everybody in the company in, in a, a coffee chat session where he could listen and not talk and more importantly, extract from people what is really happening for them. So that's the idea of like, when Otto Sharma came up with the ideas, it was based on collecting data about why, uh, what is it, what's holding people back? What are the, and, and the words were, I had to make sure I wrote these down. Uh, greed, fear, and ignorance are holding us back from changing. That's why we do superficial nonsense. Um, what's it gonna take? It's gonna take courage, listening, and patience. What support do you need? We need love and trust and listening. So his idea was, I'm going to listen to what the organization is saying before we do anything. And we spent, uh, it's hard to say it's a process. You could say we spent a year going down the U, if you want to call it that. Um, but they were very open in the sessions we would do. We'd get a couple hundred people every year up in uh, Arlanda, uh, in Sweden and just go down to you, as you would call it. And he would say, it's going to get a lot worse. We're going to make things worse for our customers, probably for the next couple of years. While we go through this, we're going to flatten the hierarchy from seven layers to three. People aren't going to like it. Like it, they really were the only place I've ever worked that they used it as a mantra, but they spent, the leaders spent a lot of time listening and obviously it was a big company. So yes, they did have consultants from a variety of different companies and all the operational stuff that we normally see. But their mantra of uh, this is generational, uh, we will be retired before the fruits of our labor uh, are made visible. So their whole attitude was different because they kind of bought into the mantra of this. Um, mm. Other ways that we promoted that listening was um, using a tool called Slido in these open forums with the CEO. So anonymous questions getting posted, uh, ano uh, anonymous polls. So the, the leaders, you know, CEO, CTO are seeing real questions from people not being curated. So no noise, all clear signal coming through from that, uh, which I just thought was great. And the funny thing was, you know, 18 months, two years into it, if you would have said the word theory you again, you would have got a punch in the face because they had used it enough to go through it. And then they're like, we're sick of this. <laughs> Like, we don't want to hear it anymore. We've gone down, we've done this, blah, blah, blah. So um, 
but it all started from the leaders being willing to listen to the organization. Plus there was kind of like a perfect storm of events that led up to it. Uh, this was when the Panama Papers scandals hit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And allegedly uh, the CEO was within his first hundred days. And allegedly the CEO's mom called him up and said, you're not one of those guys, are you? So you talked, you talked about head, heart, wallet. You know, all these mm. factors led into, man, we got to do something that's substantial and not just going like making little hops at the top of the U to this new future state type of thing. Right, which, right, uh, <clears throat> right. There's that whole there's that whole section of spiral dynamics, which I mean, that book is is impressive in its own right. But there's that whole idea of spiral dynamics for change where you reach that point. I think they call it the beta system where you realize that something is off. And it needs to be changed, but you're not really sure what it is yet. Um, kind of, kind of as an aside, but interesting because we're all music nerds. Have any of you guys ever used Oblique Strategies by Brian Eno? Have you ever messed with that? So, um, if you're listening and you don't know who Brian Eno is, it, you're definitely showing your age. Um, you probably grew up when MTV uh, was not playing music videos. Uh, but Brian Eno is a famous musician, he's a famous producer. Uh, it was ambient music for airports. I think is one of his famous albums. He worked a lot with David Bowie. And when he was in the studio, I believe it was in the 70s, he partnered with another guy who I don't remember his name. And they came up with a bunch of index cards. And on these index cards are all non sequiturs or um, remarks, common aphorisms. And the thought was, you know, recording something and they get stuck, pull a card. And the card, that card's the situation. And, you know, you were, you, all three of you were talking about, you know, poking people out of their comfort zone. This, I actually put the app on my phone because it is kind of wild because you open it and you hit a button and it just throws one random one out there. And uh, the, I just, when we started this call, I pulled it up because it was relevant. And the first one I got was don't avoid easy. And there's like a list of like 90 of these things, which seems like a kind of silly state to unpack that. It does really force you out of your own comfort zone. And you start to think about avoiding because we're just, are we assuming, right? Do we just think it's going to be that simple? right? Do we assume the new drummer is going to be able to play like Neil Peart? Nah, not going to happen. It's not going to happen. Adam Jarvis he slowed down, but not going to happen. Um, but the whole idea of poking yourself to get you kind of feel comfortable for a lot of us, it sounds normal, but for a lot of people, it's actually kind of terrifying, right? Like I'm, I'm in a new space that I don't, don't quite understand. Um, and speaking of spaces that I don't quite understand, so let's kind of pivot the We've talked a lot about the theory, what the book says, and, and you know some of the ideas we've come across. Now let's talk about life and meat space, right? How do I actually use this? Mad Dog, I'm going to start with you. Um, how you've actually used this in your professional life. And if you had to do it again, what would you do differently? So I'm going to pass the ticket to Jason Little because uh, this has all been theory is pronouncing the theory you for me as well. I have not had the liberty or opportunity to implement it. All right. Jason, you have the ball. <laughs> Ticket accepted. <laughs> um, for me lately, it's uh, language around intention um, because, I mean, everything we've been talking about, it's all interconnected. You know the signal to noise, the listening, spiral dynamics, theory. You, it's 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 all interconnected. It's a matter of our perspective, um, and it's a matter of congruence, right? Like he he does talk. Uh, he doesn't specifically reference Virginia Satir, but he does reference self context and other, which is the foundation of Satir. 
um, self being, you know, a, an individual or a group and other being the one you're interacting with. And then the context that's on top of that. So you focus on the interactions. So for me, it's about establishing intent. You know, 10, 15 years ago when agile transformations started becoming a thing, I think the intent was transformation. And I think now the intention is process improvement, but we still call them transformation. That's I, an interesting, we could go down that rabbit hole, Jason, because I think that's the still transformation. That's what people are saying. However, I don't think most of your coaches are equipped and they lead it onto the process transformation side of it. Yeah, we can, we can drink a lot of whiskey and have that episode in a couple of weeks. <laughs> that'll be like, that'll be a great, like, hey, it's New Year's Eve. It's 1130. We've been drinking for nine hours. Let's talk about coaching and then see what happens from there. I'll, I'd be unemployable, but whatever. But continue, but continue. Be a drunk, agile history. <laughs> the uh it's the these these transformations manifest as process improvement programs you know every 12 to 18 months there's a new set of consultants there's a new vp of innovation or agile now there's vp of agile vp of innovation vp of business agility vp of whatever um and i'm not saying that's good or bad what i'm saying is the whole point is be congruent you know, you're not going to apply this theory U model or spiral dynamics or anything that's rooted in complexity and, and deep meaning uh, on an agile transformation where you just want a better process method. So call it a process improvement program. There's no shame in that. There's absolutely nothing wrong with it, but be congruent. Don't say we're going to do this when we're not prepared to do this and vice versa. Talk about the consequences of transformation because it assumes I don't think people really understand what goes on when that little caterpillar transforms into a butterfly. They don't realize it completely destroys itself and it breaks itself down to a cell level and rebuilds itself. They're like, oh, well, we just got a framework. So uh, for me, it's about intention. Uh, let's explore the intent of what you want to do and let's be very clear with our language. And then the decision point comes, are we in or are we out? Uh, and if it's process improvement, awesome. Then this is probably the path we need to go. If it's transformation, maybe we've got to tread a little bit more lightly because this is a gigantic thing. And the last thing I'll say is with the great resignation and COVID and people, I think, finally realizing they can work anywhere for anyone at any time with anybody, I think organizations are going to eventually over the next three, four, five years actually have to do meaningful transformations that are more employee focused as much as we say it now it's still not we still use performance yeah. management as the lever but um i think it's going to give us a good opportunity to explore deeper ideas like this and to your point i think the companies that embrace that idea of <clears throat> the embrace the uncertainty of so what if i don't have all my people sitting in the office next to me so what if i have people spread out you know through the the diaspora it's worst thing in the world and you couple that with i mean if you really want to get like goofy and bleeding edge if you look at some of the stuff that's going on in the blockchain space right in web3 um uh, i just picked up an article by uh packy mccormick from not boring talking about the pareto frontier not frontier but frontier where you know there's things that you do for money and then there's things that are fun and if you had to plot it like would you take a job that pays you a three but is a six on the fun scale versus a job that pays you a six, but is a three on the fun scale. And, and he talks about how, you know, the whole idea to your point, Jason, of, of combining work and fun in a way that makes the pie bigger. 
I do think companies are going to get to that point. I do think the companies that embrace this are mad dog and he's like three time zones away and he's, you know, he's one of those East Coast people. He's kind of goofy. But they're going to be way more successful in the long run. I, I really, I, I truly, truly do believe that. Um, Pete, I do want to swing back to you though. Um, we talked about coming down the left side of the U where it's very much like lean startup. And then you have this, you know, we have the oblique strategies epiphany and then we're right side and you were talking we were talking earlier and you said something along the lines of um the upper the right side of you is a lot of, like sociocracy can you explain that a little bit yeah and i'm curious to see if jason also you know thinks this you know does this match like your experience with this so like when i look at this it looks like some of the stuff that i've been exploring this year with uh, sociocracy um and so, so sociocracy is actually goes back to like the 1960s and the 70s uh, Gerard Endenberg uh, was took like an electrical engineer's mindset at how do you do management, uh, and he was the son of this this, uh, this this family that had this business. So he had the ability to try out a bunch of things, and he developed a whole series of techniques that have then since been refined over the you know many different years. And uh, the guy who translated all of his work into English is his name is John Buck, and I got the I got to work with him and his group. Um, this year. So I've been working with one of the, uh, the crypto um, companies, so the, one of the blockchains out there, uh, Cardano, and we're working mm-hmm. on setting up a self-governing structure for the Cardano community. Uh, and so we, and we were brought in by them to, to introduce these ideas of sociocracy. Uh, and so I got to spend a lot of time with it. And so when I'm looking at the model here, and I'm looking at everything that we do in sociocracy, there's so many different analogs. And one of the things that I love about that is like, I love it when we find these things where even though we come from different backgrounds and we kind of work out the best way to work, they start to look like each other. I did, had the same thing when I was doing uh, studies of comparative religion. And I would find that all of the different religion paths, once they got to a certain place, found the same kind of ideas and principles. And they looked a lot of the same, um, you know, up in those, those upper sort of tiers uh, of, of study. And so this and whole by religions, you mean scrum and safe, right? Oh, I kid. Yes, Keith, exactly. I kid. Continue, continue. <laughs> um, I know there's a joke in there somewhere, but I don't have it on the tip of my tongue right now. All right, so. <laughs> no, you were going deep and I derailed you. You were talking about the different levels. So like even when you go back to religion, right? I mean, granted, it all backs up to Baal and the Canaanites. But when you reach certain monotheistic religions, they all kind of do look like another. Oh, but continue, continue. Yeah, yeah. When you mix it like Sufism and you look at Kabbalism and you look at Christian mysticism and you look at Buddhism, they all start to have a lot of the same patterns that are coming out of them. Um, And so so going back to the sociocracy stuff um, is that looking at some of these techniques, so if you're looking for a way to maybe uh, try to do, like you feel like your team is ready for the right side of it, I would say take a look at sociocracy, and I'd be curious. I'm going to be curious to hear if Jason would agree with this. Um, but because we put together this thing, the whole point of sociocracy is, uh, as as John would describe it, it's like this: what if I could elect my own boss? So it's really leveling the playing field, and it is the foundation for a lot of the other things that we've seen, like holacracy. Uh, actually, holacracy is pretty much sociocracy, uh, and there's this sort of little history there that John taught. Um, I forgot what his name was. Brian, uh, Brian Roberts. Yeah. 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 That put together the holacracy stuff uh, and 
Uh, and then he went off and did his own thing and didn't reference back that he got a lot of these concepts from sociocracy. Um, but it's all the same kind of things. But when you go back to the original, which is like I like to do with, with we mentioned, talked before about going back to the original version of spiral dynamics, having come to it through integral. When I went back to the original version of sociocracy, having come through holacracy, you know, I found a lot of these practices that were really sort of looking at how do we sit down a set of procedures that allows us to all be equal. So they have things like rounds, which are very important. Um, and the first round that you do is checking in and say, hey, so how are you doing today? We recognize that you're a person. We recognize that you have emotions. We recognize that what you just did 30 minutes ago coming out of that frustrating meeting is going to affect what happens now. Mm -hmm. So we're going to give you a chance to express that. We're going to give you a chance to just be human and just admit that like you're bringing stuff with you to this conversation. You may not be on your A game and everybody gets a chance to do that. And so every meeting starts with just connecting with people as people. You know, and it could take anywhere from five minutes to 15 minutes, but it creates this level playing field and it creates this equality. And then we get into discussions and there's some very specific procedures that you follow inside of sociocracy. And it's important to do rounds. We do check-in rounds and see where we are. And then we do proposals and it's very scientifically based. And it's, you have a proposal that somebody has and then you have to reach consent. Uh, but consent is different than consensus. You know, and mm, it's all mm. of these different techniques that are sort of built in. And I won't go down the rabbit hole of the difference <laughs> between consent and consensus. Um, but it's all of this, like this idea of prototyping. It, sociocracy has a version of prototyping that goes in there. You know, and then you get reached this point where are we good enough to go forward and try something out? And so then you get into the stage of sort of performing. And, but you, you are committing to, like, even though I don't fully agree with this, I, I agree to support this that we are together gonna right. operate as a whole and we are gonna try this thing out and see how it goes. And if it goes great, then I was wrong and carry on. Um, and if not, we collect some more data and we're gonna come back in and we're gonna do another prototype. Right, no, um, no, um, that are uh, following along at home, I will put a link in the show notes. We actually did have John and you, Eckstein on to talk about Bossa Nova, where ah, that's, yeah. that's, you know, beyond budgeting, open space, and, yeah. and you really overlooked. Yeah. You would have joined us on that project with the Cardano group as well. That's it's Pete. I feel like you and I should hang out more between the blockchain stuff and spiral dynamics. We definitely should talk more. Right. But then yeah. somehow Rush is going to come up and we're going to start debating albums and it's going to go down from there. Um, so we're, we're quickly approaching time. I can't believe we, we blasted through this episode this quickly. So I want to go around the horn and get some final thoughts. Um, if you were, if you ran into someone who said, Hey, the exact, the here, here's the, here's the setup. You run into someone um, at a bar, at a, at a conference, whatever, and they say, hey, I'm looking into this theory you stuff, and I'm kind of intrigued. If you had one seed that you can plant in this person's mind about theory you, about how to use it, maybe something you've learned previously, what would be the seed you plant? And Mad Dog, I'm coming back to you. What would be the seed that you would plant? Are you in a position where you've just thrown in the towel and not sure what else to try. Are you ready to just give something new a try that you hadn't thought about before? It's, uh, is, your, is your company, is your culture, as far as you can tell, ready to be there? And, you know, here, here's the example that, that I've been thinking about. Every time I think about Fury, you know, I also think about 
some of the uh, uh, more of the, the the terrible message they call burning, burning platforms, uh, you know, like Piper Alpha that happened in, you know, uh, off the coast of Scotland. And, and that is a lot of companies don't realize they need to do something to their in a crisis. And that's unfortunate. Um, and uh, sometimes they can get there just by uh, wanting to do it, but usually it's uh, it's done through uh, a crisis rather than cause and purpose, as Jason would probably bring up from his end. And it's great if you can get that. Um, but uh, you know, I've been a victim of uh, acquisitions. I've been a victim of rifts. I've been a victim of restructures, reorgs. It seems like anytime a company goes through some sort of internal crisis, they've got to go through a big change. Well, what's the difference between all the other big changes that happened over the years? I've been hearing about reduction in force rifts since the 1990s, right? And uh, I'm sure it predates that way before. So if you're at a point where you wanna try something that's truly different and not go through the whole repeated uh, cycle of uh, uh, life and death within corporations, consider trying Theory U and see where it goes from there. Cool, cool. Pete, same question. I'd actually take it in a slightly different way, which I would say, man, God, I understand what you're going through, that sort of frustration that you're having. I've had a similar kind of experience, you know, and like, tell me a little bit more about like, what are some of the problems that you're experiencing that are getting you to this place? Because if they can't follow that up and talk to me about the emotions of what they're going through, if they haven't reached the emotional awareness yet to be able to talk about themselves and their coworkers emotionally, then what I would do is I'd say, hey, you know what? If you wanna find out a little bit more about this Theory U stuff, you definitely check out Theory U, but also I would recommend go taking a look at uh, Ash Moria's Running Lean and try some of the stuff that he has in that book. But if they do respond with an emotional thing and they get into it and I can tell like they, they're already like have access to their emotions, they're already ready to get access to that stuff. Then I would say, hey, you might want to check out some of these techniques over in the space of like sociocracy uh, or some of these other you know, sort of things and see how that goes. So that's sort of my my connection into those things. But you have to figure out where they are first before I figure out which advice I would give them. OK, OK. Little same question. Uh, ditto. <laughs> oh yeah, I went in. We force yeah. them to, should we force them to rank all of Russia's catalog from best to worst? If we're gonna <laughs> tough question, right? Should we force them to do that? Go, He's gonna he already has answer memorized. Yeah, go go to intent. What <laughs> what has led you to this point where uh, you think this is something worthwhile looking at, and then fork the conversation based on there. I had somebody who reached out. Uh, I don't know when it was, but there were, we're looking at a change framework and we're looking at method X and method Y and your framework, even though none of my stuff is a framework, it's just how my idiot brain sees change and how I like to work. Um, so do you, do you have like a brochure or case studies or blah, blah, blah on how your framework and method works? And I just went, just pick one of the other two. <laughs> the nature of the question is... Mm. This, these, these ideas are probably not for you. So I would want to go to that intent. Like what has led you to this? And if it's an individual personal thing, I would, well, you don't want to get into therapy, um, but uh, I, I would point them towards the, the original talk that Otto Sharma did to at least help them, um, help them see where the intention came from and not that it's a process model that is going to fix 
that I can apply and it will fix all of the problems that my organization couldn't fix, but with their past five, six, seven transformations. But perfect, perfect. Intent is the way to go. All right. So um, on behalf of all the listeners and myself, I want to thank you, Mike, Pete, and Jason for spending time this evening to have this conversation. On behalf of uh, Mike, Pete, and myself, the other Jason, uh, the fatter one with less hair, um, who arguably has better taste because I really don't like Rush, but we're not going to talk about that now. Um, I want to thank all of you listeners for tuning in once again. If you like what you heard, please leave a review, a rating uh, on iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, your podcasting platform of choice. Believe it or not, it does help others find us. Special shout out to Chris at Machine Man Records and the Artist Krebs who provided us our outro music free of charge monetized when we get to that point on YouTube. If you liked this conversation, if you want to learn more about Theory U, if you want to just jump in the agile deep end and bury yourself up with tons of uh, intelligent practitioners who've got something to say, hop onto our Discord server. There's plenty to be had there. And last but not least, we are committed to always being free. However, we do have a Patreon. So if you're interested and you want to throw a buck or two here or there a month, uh, you prize in the mail for me and it might be something you really enjoy. So once again, I want to thank all of our guests. I want to thank the man people and i want to thank you listeners and until next time this is the agile uprising podcast signing out